So Money Episode 936, Christina Stembel, founder of Farm Girl Flowers. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Most people often assume, probably quite naturally, that it must be a passion project. It must be that I loved flowers or, you know, people that start catering companies must love food or, you know, any kind of creative um, outlet type company that it must be a passion. And so I hear that all the time. People are like, you're so lucky you get to do what you love. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I do get to do what I love, but that's building a business and scaling mm-hmm. a business big. It's not playing with flowers. Ever have an underwhelming experience ordering flowers online? I've had many, and our guest today became committed to fixing that problem and has created a multi-million dollar business. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Christina Stemble knew she always wanted to start a company living in San Francisco, where it seems like everyone has a successful startup. She was constantly brainstorming ways to disrupt old industries. And eventually, she found herself with a million dollar idea, flower delivery. It was a rough start. Unable to raise any money, Christina bootstrapped her company, starting with $49,000 in savings. Thanks to her drive and determination, she was able to weather the trying times, and there were many, to grow Farm Girl Flowers into a $23 million business. That's how much they made last year in revenue. $23 million from flowers. And Christina has her sights set on growing this to a billion-dollar company. Here we go. Here's Christina Stemble. Christina Stemple, welcome to So Money Farm Girl. Ah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Your business is Farm Girl Flowers. Everybody, go to Farm Girl Flowers, please. Next time you order any flowers, just go there. Just, just, I, I, you're welcome. I'm, I'm going to save you a lot of steps. Um, it's no secret in my family that I've had a lot of bad run-ins with online flower delivery companies because they've either not showed up with their flowers to the place I wanted them to, or the flowers came and they were just ugly. I was reading your story, Christina, and it sounds like you really saw an opportunity that I was only experiencing as a consumer, but you saw it as an entrepreneur to get into this industry and really disrupt. You started Farm Girl Flowers in 2010, and now it is a $23 million annual revenue business, which you started from your apartment in San Francisco, your dining room, your home in San Francisco, with less than $50,000 in self-funding. So take us back to that moment. Like this was now nine years ago. What did you set out to accomplish and what was the inspiration? Yeah. So um, exactly what you kind of mentioned. Um, I had equally uh, poor experiences with the traditional e-commerce flower companies when I would send my mom flowers in Indiana. Um, I would was forced to use one of those companies because she lived in a very rural area. And I would spend, you know, an hour going through the 200 options on the website to find the least ugly option, like you said. And what was delivered to her never looked anything like what I thought it was going to look like. And I always felt a bit ripped off because I didn't think it looked like the $80 that I had spent. I thought it looked like something that had come from the grocery store for a much cheaper price. And 
you know, I came up with the idea not because of the e-commerce, though. Originally, I came up with it because I oversaw an events department at Stanford University, and I saw how much we were spending on flowers. And so I started researching the space and very quickly shifted from the event space to the e-commerce space because I was reminded of all those personal experiences, but also because all the stats that I was reading about showed that the e-com space was actually declining. And in 2010, that didn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, I was a younger consumer in my early 30s at that point, and I was starting to buy everything online. I was using mm-hmm. every, you know, convenient um, e-com company out there where I didn't even have to get groceries myself. Right. And I was like, you know, young consumers are buying everything online. How can this be the only segment I've ever seen where it's declining. And so that kind of gave me this like aha moment where I'm like, this is the industry I'm going to go into because I always knew I wanted to start a business, but I had no idea what industry and most of them either required a lot of outside investment, which I knew I wouldn't be qualified to get um, with not a pedigree and without a college degree. Um, or, you know, it was already a very saturated market where I was like, you know, what am I going to be able to do to, you know, bring to this industry that's already been disrupted 50 times in the last 10 years, you know? So this was the first one that I saw kind of a big white space that I could, I could kind of forge my way as like a first disruptor. It's inspiration for anyone listening who wants to pursue entrepreneurship. So you always knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur, didn't really have a an idea growing up necessarily, but kept your eyes and ears open. And it kind of uh, seemed like it walked right up to you and bit you, you know, like this is uh, something that you were personally experiencing, um, this need, this void in the marketplace you were experiencing. Um We've come a long way since uh, Bremen, Indiana, growing up on a corn and soybean farm. But um, you'd say that even then you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I knew I wanted to shortly after. I used to want to be an actress <laughs> when I was back on the farm. But ever since moving to San Francisco, I think, you know, before that, I had no idea that was even an option to me. You know, I grew up in a very gender rolled environment where, um, you know, my brother, my parents saved for him to go to college. But my sister and I were, you know, just supposed to get married and have kids. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but that was not a path from an early stage that I saw for myself. And so I had no idea what I could do. Um, and so when I came out to San Francisco, I saw people, you know, doing amazing things and, and basically everything was just being reimagined. And I thought, Hey, I could do that. And I would love to do that. So I was that crazy person that had, you know, 50 different business ideas every week. I had a little notebook in my bag at all times. And I would, you know, annoy all of my girlfriends with, you know, during girls nights, I'd be like, Hey, you know, what do you think about iron on pockets for your suits or, you know, everything became like a beta test for me. Right. And so, but I think as a, a female in a creative space in particular, most people often assume, um, probably quite naturally that it must be a passion project. It must be that I loved flowers or, you know, people that start catering companies must love food or, you know, any kind of creative, um, outlet type company. Then it must be a passion. And so I hear that all the time. People are like, you're so lucky you get to do what you love. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I do get to do what I love, but that's building a business and scaling mm-hmm. a business big. It's not playing with flowers, you know? And I, I love, <laughs> I love the medium that I chose. I love that it's creative. I love that we get to bring joy and love to people's lives every day. And there's very few companies that get to do that, but it's much bigger than that for me. My, my, top of my bucket list, my goal in life was to start and scale a large scale business. And I think no man has ever approached being like, you're so lucky you get to play with flowers. And a hundred percent of our large scale um, competitors 
in flowers are all hundred percent male owned. And I don't mm. think they're probably being approached with the same questions that I get as a no. entrepreneur who happens to be female. No, no, no. And I want to talk further down about your experience with trying to get money for your business, despite the fact that some of your competitors were getting VC, you were not. And this brings us to how you bootstrapped it ultimately with $50,000 in self-funding which lasted you two years. And I think that's incredible that it did. Um, but it almost went to zero in mm-hmm. those two years. And so I, two questions about that. One, how do you make it stretch? Like, okay, so maybe a lot of us listening have that much money or close to it. And we're thinking, oh, maybe I could like give myself two years of runway for my startup idea. How do you prioritize where you spend? What were the mistakes that you made that you wouldn't to save some of that money and put it in better areas? But also when you got to almost zero dollars, how did you turn things around? So how do you make the most of that runway? And then how did you ultimately go from broke to 23 million in annual revenue? Yeah. So when I got down to $411, which was the lowest we've ever gotten in our account, um, it was a year one and a half. It was just, I would say like, we, the ubiquitous we, it was just me in my dining room at that point. Um, so thankfully my overhead was very low. <laughs> um, but there, it was scary. It was really, really scary. It was the only point where I was like, I don't know that I'm going to be here tomorrow even. And, um, I think allowing myself to be okay with that because my goal was, you know, start this company and it was a completely different way of doing business, a completely different way to buy flowers online. So right now, because so many industries are doing less is more, it seems like it's just standard. But back then it wasn't in 2010. I modeled my company after In-N-Out Burger. Um, so it wasn't like a very well-known thing. So it was a lot of education early on. So I didn't know if it was going to be a big hit. You know, of course, in my head, I was like, this is a brilliant idea and it's going to go viral and nothing ever goes viral. Um but it was, it, it was freeing for me to be like, I gave myself two years or until I ran out of money. Mm-hmm. And those were aligning very closely at one and a half years at $411. Thankfully, I had some checks that were, I knew were coming in from some event work that I had done. Um, and they did come in, but it's about being super tight. Like I did not spend a penny and that, I mean, like, you know, that was that $49,000 I had was also for me to live on. So I was eating a lot of ramen. I didn't drink coffee because it was too expensive. I switched to like Lipton tea bags. Like I didn't spend anything and, um, only, you know, everything had to have an ROI, everything. I, you know, the, the big mistakes to your question as well as like what mistakes I made to get me there. And then also like what I would look back and like, be like, those were huge mistakes in that early, those early days was saying yes to free things. Hmm. Um, but we don't say yes to anything for free. Like we get asked probably about a hundred times a week for free right now. Um, there's some kind of weird perception out there that if it's a perishable product, it must have a very low price for cogs and it's the opposite. Um, I have friends that have like bra companies and shirt companies and, you know, all kinds of beauty companies and they're cost of goods is much lower than ours, um, with flowers. And yet they get asked for free product far fewer times than we do. Um, but early on that whole, you know, promise of brand awareness sounded really good. And I thought it would actually really help. And it didn't at all. There was no ROI. And so the advice I give to young consumers now or young entrepreneurs now, um, and consumers when I'm telling them no to free is, uh, don't do free. 
the free does not exist. Brand awareness does not really exist at all. Like less sexy, more ROI is kind of my, my mantra <laughs> now, you know, because it's very enticing to be like, Oh, this really amazing company wants to work with us. And then all I need to do is 30 free centerpieces for them. And I'm like, it's not free. Your time costs money, your product costs money. And that's what led me to some really bad financial decisions early on um, that did impact us getting down, you know, me getting down to such a small amount in our account was by doing too much for free. So making sure you, my unit economics worked and not doing a single thing for free after that helped me build it back up. You said you modeled your business after In-N-Out. How so? So In-N-Out Burger, like Shake Shack on the East Coast, for those of uh, the listeners that are listening from out there, you know, they do what they do and they do it really well. But they aren't Burger King that like says they do everything. You can have it your way, any way you want it. That, <laughs> you know that burger. Um, and In-N-Out Burger always has this huge line, like drive-through line waiting. You can usually don't even like. I won't even like mess with it because it's just too long of a line. But they have you know single, double, triple burger, fries, shake, drink. That's it. And so when I was looking at the floral industry, I was like, why in the world are there two hundred options for yeah. flour? Like I don't want to look for an hour to find the least ugly option. So when I was looking, when I was modeling it out to figure out how can I create a model that provides better quality, more designer look, like actually designed bouquets to consumers, the only lever that I could move was the waste one. And if I could get the waste, which is traditionally 40%, down to what I uh, what I have is 2% on our financial model, um, then I could use higher quality flowers that cost a lot more. You know, consumers don't want all those Alstroemeria or Parisian lilies, as they call them, you know, right. or the carnations or things like that, that literally have the longest base life. Baby's can- breath. <laughs> yeah, baby's breath. They don't want that, you know? And so, you know, I wanted to be able to provide the garden roses and calla lilies and peonies and ranunculas and things like that, that women actually want, but they have a much higher price tag on those stems. Mm-hmm. But I, so I had to get the waist down and to get the waist down, I was able to do that by not giving consumers a choice of what they got. And that was really hard. It took years, um, like four or five years, I would say before we had an, enough of a reputation that people trusted us to say, I don't care what you use. I know it's a farm girl flowers bouquet. It's going to be beautiful. And therefore every stem that we buy, we use because we don't tell you what it's going to be. So let's say we ordered, you know, a couple thousand dozen Helios roses and they come in and they look horrible. We're definitely not going to use those. We're going to get credit from the farm. And because we didn't promise those Helios roses, we can substitute them with cappuccino roses or something else instead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the consumers, none the wiser, we don't have to eat the waste of anything because we might, you know, like traditional florists and even the e-com companies that don't make any of the bouquets themselves in house, they use bouquet makers. They have to guarantee a certain number they're going to buy. And florists have to buy 50 different varieties at the flower markets and through the wholesalers every week and not knowing what those, you know, 25 ones that are going to sell that week and throw out the other 25, you know, and we don't do that. So even if we have an event that say it's using all like blues and peaches, and we have extra leftover from that wedding, we can put it on a small burlap line, make 10 burlaps with the leftovers from that. And it looks, you know, we never have like one bouquet going out. We have 20 different bouquets going out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way we, you know, have never gone over 2% waste except for once. And that's when we moved warehouses and didn't have a cooler. And that wow. was good. That. Yeah. That's incredible. Never over 2% waste. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you ever feel like writing letters to those investors that passed on your business idea and being like, 
look who's sorry now. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we do have a joke um, at Farm Girl. My big dream is after, you know, when we get to a billion dollars or even I'll be happy at 300 million, you know, um, that's kind of my low end goal um, to go back and, you know, have my pretty woman moment when I go back in the store, you know, she goes back in the store and I go back to the investors with my check and be like, big mistake, huge mistake. Huge. (laughs) Yeah. Why do you think they passed on you and you were noticing that? At the same time, other competitors were getting funding. And so were you taking it personally? How are you, how are you interpreting the, the feedback? Yeah, it's been, it depends what day you ask me and how I answer that question. It's definitely been a whole process. Um, where I'm at now um, is, to your point, 100% of our competitors have all received funding, most of them pre-revenue even, and most of them looking strikingly similar to our business. Um, so back in 2014, 15, when I tried the first time to raise capital, we had so many um strikingly similar companies popping up that all were able to raise money so quickly that I thought it very naively it was going to be easy for me because we were already, you know, over that million dollar mark that less than 2% of female owned companies get to. And it was starting to come to the forefront of, you know, news and everywhere that, you know, female founded companies were getting less money. And so I actually thought very naively, I'm going to go out there. And because I started this, you know, um, and everybody else is following us that I'm going to be able to raise more than them even, and was really let down on that. Um, and I, I was really bitter back then because it was very evident that really it was just because I was a female founder. Um, and I didn't have that pedigree as well. Like I said, I didn't go to college. Um, you know, I had some really rude remarks made to me about that. Um, you know, at one point I said, you know, Mark Zuckerberg didn't go to college and (laughs) the investor said to me, um, but he got into Harvard. Could you? have gotten into Harvard. And I was like, ouch, you know? So, um, I mean, just some, it was really hard. And so I was really bitter then. And and the main thing I heard was that they, they thought I was lucky. Like it just, this was just lucky that I'd been able to do this. And they didn't think I could do national delivery because we weren't doing national shipping yet. And so I thought, okay, I'm wasting a bunch of time. Let me just put my head down and, you know, show them everything in my life has basically been with the mantra of, you know, watch me, you know, you want to, you want to doubt me, just watch me. I'll do it, you know? And so I got national shipping going. It grew like gangbusters. We went from 4.4 million to 10.2 that year. Um, it was way too much growth. We weren't set up for it. It was re- the hardest year yet at Farm Girl. And um, so then I tried to raise capital again, um, got very far with a few investors. But what I found was the deals that I was being offered, very few, I've, I've gotten three offers, I should say, and I've been turned down 101 times to give context um, still to this day. And I tried very hard. I probably spent 40% of my time last year trying to raise capital um, and got three offers. And the offers I was receiving were not fair offers from what our competitors were getting. And I cannot be okay with that. I can't take an offer that values us far less than what our competitors are being valued at and have things in the terms that aren't fair, like personal indemnification and things like that, that just are not what any male and great. Thankfully I have an amazing lawyer who told me this is not normal. You should not be taking this deal. You've proven yourself. You shouldn't have to take these terms. And I just, I walked away from all the offers, which was really hard to walk away from double digit million dollar deals. Um, but I don't believe that as women, we need to settle 
for that in order, like basically give away all of our hard work um, just because that's all we can get. So now I'm at the place where I'm completely okay with it. I'm actually very happy with the choices that I've made because I get to run my company the way that I want to. And one of my biggest learnings in all of this eight and a half years was I now fully believe that the potential investors are not the smartest people in the room. Yeah. And I used to feel completely intimidated by them. And I thought because of their pedigree and all this, they obviously knew what they're talking about more than I did. And now that's completely reversed. I talk to them and the things that they tell me they think I should be doing differently. I'm just like that. No, that's, I know better than that. I'm, I have eight and a half years of experience in this. And so I'm really glad that I didn't because I fully believe that I will be able to lead this company to where I want to, you know, take it into the hundreds of millions of dollars and to do it the right way by taking care of my team and our customers and all the things that I truly believe in that might not look good for the bottom line in the short term for that quarterly report, but I'm playing the long game. And so I think it's really going to help us long term. I love everything you're saying. I'm taking notes too. I love, it's true. I mean, to not be tied to investor dollars, people glamorize, first of all, venture capital. Now, I think that venture capital serves a really important need in our economy and in in people's pursuits to build and scale businesses. Sometimes you really do need that money. But in a lot of cases, it's glamorized to be this like almost like stamp of approval. Like your business really isn't up to snuff if you're not getting Wall Street or Silicon Valley behind it. And I think that really what you're signing up for is a load of debt and the golden handcuffs, right? (laughs) You're probably my favorite person now in the world. Because I mean, most let's just call that. let's call it what it is, right? Yeah. You're signing up for someone else to give you all this money, who's now going to be, um, you know, texting you all day long, like getting in your business, and it's it's like worse than a line of credit. It's worse yep. than a line of credit. It's somebody. You know how many times I had to tell investors, you know, they would come up with this idea, this brilliant idea after every time they would go to a wedding and they would have this idea that we should use repurpose wedding flowers oh. for our bouquets. And I would have to say like, no, no, wedding flowers are at the end of their life. We need them at the beginning of the, like even the flower, like care, I would have to like explain to them over and over again and why these aren't good ideas, you know? And that's just a waste of time. You know, it's yeah. just a waste of time. Just keep doing you. Now, when you were younger and growing up, I ask this of all of my guests, what was a money memory that you can recall that was very influential, a, a, an experience, a lesson, a, something you witnessed that even today as, you know, the founder of a company, um, you feel was very um, much a teachable moment for you? Yeah. So I feel extremely fortunate, especially when I have 145 team members, um, most of the hourly team members. And I um, see the financial, the way they think about finances is is very different than how I was taught. Um, I feel really fortunate that my parents, like you mentioned earlier, I grew up on a corn and soybean farm in a very small town. I was taught to not live beyond our means. I was taught that living off credit cards was not the way to do it. Um, I was taught if you couldn't buy that sweater with cash, don't buy the sweater. And the biggest uh, challenge that I face in bootstrapping a company is not running out of money. Cash flow is extremely hard on a high growth startup. You know, as you mentioned, we did 23 million last year. We're on track to do 33 million this year. So we're growing pretty quickly. And to be able to do that without outside capital 
makes cash flow management the most important thing that I do in my job. And my parents taught me to not live beyond my means. You know, the whole keeping up with the Joneses saying, I was taught that that's the opposite. Like how other people's perception of you is not important. You know, for financial health, you just do not live off credit cards or, uh, you know, don't buy things that you can't afford. And so I run my company that way, very much that way. Like there are machines that we want to get so badly that will help us with efficiencies. Um, we need to open a second distribution center so badly. Um, this year I had to make the hard decision to slow down our growth. You know, the $10 million growth this year is actually slower than what we could do considerably. Um, and we had to raise our prices to slow down our growth. So that way we could focus on profitability, um, and, and profit margins. So that way we can save up a million dollars to open our distribution center, because I'm not going to take that out on full loans and put 140 people's jobs in jeopardy if something goes wrong. You know, we have one long-term disability case or one lawsuit or something like that, and it could put us out of business. So um, I'm really thankful that my parents taught me how to manage money and cash and um, to not buy things we can't afford. That's incredible. So now in your day-to-day financial life, uh, is there a practice that you commit to, a step that you take that helps to provide you and your family with financial security? Some people like to talk about a habit that they practice. Maybe there's a sort of like a website or an app that you like to use. Uh, for personal or for, or for professional? For personal, I'd personal? say. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for personal, I don't really. Um, I wish I had something that was better than that. I've always been a saver though. I've never been on the spending side, even though I really like clothes and beauty and makeup. And, but, um, you know, back also growing up, my, one of my funniest stories is after I left home at 18, my mom told me for years, she was still finding tins of money hidden all around the farm because I was so scared. My brother and his friends were going to find it and steal it. Aww. So, hide tins of money all over. So like little bits, you'd be like, I found a hundred dollars under this and then this part of the barn. So I think, um, I have never been a credit card user that actually hurt us for farm girl early on because I needed, you know, credit and I didn't have any, I always used debit cards. I was always really good at managing my cash flow and just making sure I didn't spend what I didn't have, but I don't really have, um, anything. One thing I, I do really love in my personal life though, for, my nieces and nephews, I'm definitely that aunt that is not the cool aunt right now because I love to give them, give them stockpile gift cards, um, which gives them, you know, <laughs> I, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't learn anything about investing early on and I wish I would have. And it was very intimidating as an adult, you know, even now at 40, I'm like 41. I'm like, you know, investing is, it's kind of daunting when you're not taught that at an early age. So I'm that aunt that, you know, they really want that Barbie or that, you know, whatever toy, that video game. And I'm like, here's a stockpile gift card. What would you like to invest your money in? You know, um, So I guess in my personal life, I try to do everything I can to um, change for future, future generations in my life, things that I felt insecure about myself. Cool Aunt Christina. I like it. I think I'll be really cool at like when they're 18 and they see how much money they have. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they, I'm sure they think you're super cool now. I mean, it's like, uh, don't ask her for any free flowers, though. That's where you draw the line. Exactly. They do think I'm cool when they see me on TV, like on commercials or something like that. Then they're like, then I'm cool, aunt. But, you know, everything else, when I don't give them their Barbie and I give them a stockpile gift card instead, I'm not. <laughs> 
I think what's so cool about your aesthetic too is that there is an aesthetic. There's a clear aesthetic to how farm girl flowers are arranged. And so I know that was intentional because, you know, how cool would it be to like notice some, a flower arrangement at, you know, your local coffee shop or an office or you receive it and you instantly know where it's from, which is, as far as I know, there are very few, if, if any, flowered companies that differentiate in that way. Yeah, that was definitely intentional. I, with the burlap wrap, I came up with that. I know it's, it's seen around the country to other places, but that we were the the OGs of that. Um, I came up with 14 different ideas and asked all my friends which ones they liked the best. And it was pretty unanimous that everybody liked the burlap wrap the best. I came mm-hmm. up with that idea thinking of potato sacks, though, because where I come yeah. from, that much, you know, more than coffee. Um, and, you know, there's no no potatoes out here pretty much. So change it to coffees, um, coffee bags instead. I love that it's also a way to upcycle something that uh, is 100% biodegradable. So you get another use out of it before um, it's good for the earth as well. But it definitely the main main reason uh, was because I wanted to create a brand and not just, you know, I think the flowers that we we provide are really special, but I think the thing that makes us even more special and what I've heard from a lot of customers through surveys and things we've done is they love our aesthetic. And I, I take no, I take so much pride that florists will even tell me that people call them and ask for a farm girl style bouquet. I think that's amazing. Um, but I also love that the main reason people buy from us is because they like our company. Um, cause they want to support a female founded company, a female led mm-hmm. We're 75% female fueled. Um, we're the only female large, larger scale to my knowledge, female owned flower company. Um, and I think that's really important because 80% of people that buy flowers are women buying for women. It's not men. Interesting. If you take, yeah, if you take Valentine's day out of that, it's probably more like 90 to 95%. (laughs) Um, and so I think that matters because we, we are women, so we know what women want and they want a beautiful bouquet. And so that's what we're giving them. And they also want to buy from a company that they love. And that's what we're also trying to provide. Let's do some so many fill in the blanks, Christina. You've been so fun. This is like, I didn't prepare you for this. It's okay. It's, you're not to be prepared. This is just when you finish a sentence. I'll start it. Okay. Or a thought, finish a thought. Okay. So if I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is? Fun farm real flowers. (laughs) Yeah. How much more do you need to get where you want quicker? Like, I mean, in an ideal world, be like, hundred million dollars and you think you no, can call it a day? Just 10. Okay. If anyone listening, $10 million is what she's <laughs> looking for. Yeah. Um, okay. When I splurge, I like to spend my money on? Gucci. Gucci. Yeah. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better or both is? Upgrading my seat on airplanes so I can work the whole duration. Yes. <laughs> Especially those longer flights, you know, yes. it, it makes a world of difference. I okay. divide it out. I'm like, it's only 60 bucks an hour to be able to spreadsheet mm. the whole time. Oh. <laughs> and if you can turn that four hours into a business opportunity, I mean, that's quite the ROI. Exactly. Exactly. All right. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is how to invest wisely. Yes. And when I donate, I like to give to blank because? Female causes, because it's the thing I'm most passionate about. And last but not least, I'm Christina Stemble. I'm so money because? I'm Christina Stemble and I'm so money because I have bootstrapped a company to over $30 million in revenue. 
in less than 10 years. Bravo, Christina. That's incredible. And you may already know of them, but the Female Founders Collective. Yes, I do. Uh, yeah. Great. So that's an obvious way to get yourself known as a female founder and started by Rebecca Minkoff, the fashion designer. She wanted a way to be able to identify really quickly if the business was run by a woman, because that's where she wanted to put her money. And so now as a member of the Female Founders Collective, you can get these sort of icons to put on all of your merchandise and your storefront and your website. So it's clearly identified because people care about that stuff. Yes. Vote with our dollars. It's so important. Wishing you more success. See you when you're back at a hundred million in revenue. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks to Christina for joining us. Check out farmgirlflowers.com and connect with them on Twitter and Instagram at farmgirlflowers. All this information is at somoneypodcast.com. You can listen to the episode, share it. Also click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your questions for our Friday episodes. You can also follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. Follow me there, submit a question through direct message, and that will also go into the lineup for an upcoming Ask Farnoosh episode. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Everybody, and I hope your day is so money.